we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to go with me to the gospel according to Matthew. We come this morning to the 10th chapter, the gospel according to Matthew. In the 10th chapter, we've been with the disciples, beginning in Matthew 4, when they received the call from the Lord, follow me. And we've been walking with the Lord and the disciples, visiting with them through the gospel according to Matthew with that theme in mind, follow, and what it means to follow Christ, that is, our, that is our calling to follow him. And may God help us to do that. That's been our theme for this year in our church, that we would follow him. And when you follow him, uh, you can rest because he is doing the leading. That means you don't have to worry about where you're going or when you're going to get there or how you're going to get there. You just have to follow him. And that's the Christian life. We follow by faith and we follow our Lord. And as we follow him, he teaches us many things and he equips us to do the work that he has given us to do. Now, we're in Matthew chapter number 10, but I, I want us to back up and read three verses in Matthew 9. In fact, we'll begin in verse 36, and we'll begin really with the text that we looked at last week when we found out what the disciples' prayer was to be, and we'll begin with the Lord teaching concerning that prayer, and then we'll move into chapter number 10, and... Uh, We'll move forward from there. So let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebius whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand." Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, 
nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till you go thence. And when you come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? We'll stop reading there. Here in this 10th chapter, we have the result of the disciples' prayer. The Lord commanded them to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And as they prayed, he continued calling until the 12 were assembled. We don't know how much time passes between verse 38 of chapter 9 and verse 1 of chapter number 10, but the Bible tells us that when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he then sent them. And so the prayer is answered. The Lord has sent laborers into the harvest. Now, if we're going to properly understand this 10th chapter, uh, we need to see that this 10th chapter begins with Christ and his disciples, the 12 who followed him. He is addressing them specifically. But as we move through the 10th chapter, we find that his message is not only to the 12 who were following him then, but also to all those who will follow him throughout the church age and ultimately those who will be his followers in the time of the tribulation period before his return. So he has something to say to each of those groups. Uh, if we look at this chapter and we just simply break it down in divisions, we see uh, that the mission described in verses 1 through 15 is a mission specific to the 12. It is for the 12 apostles. 
a specific mission. There are things that we will learn from their mission that apply to ours. But there are things specific to them that do not apply to us. We'll look at that in just a moment. Then we note the warning that is given in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. That warning specifically addresses the persecution that believers will face right before the coming of the Lord, during the tribulation period. Now, it also addresses, in a general sense, the persecution that all believers endure throughout the church age. But in particular, before he comes. And then the instruction that he gives in verses 26 through 42, that instruction is for all of Christ's disciples through all periods. I think it's important if we're going to understand all that the Lord has for us in this 10th chapter, we must understand those divisions and how God is speaking. Now, as we note some things, we're going to title this message, if you're, right, if you're taking notes, Laborers in the Harvest. Laborers in the Harvest. They had prayed, God had called, and now he's sending laborers into the harvest. What exactly is the harvest? Well, the harvest is the work of God. And this picture of the harvest, this, this agricultural picture of the farmer who is sowing seed and, and uh, working in the fields to, to reap uh, the, the harvest, to bring in the crops, it is a picture of the work of God in the field of this world as the seed, the word of God, is sown into the hearts of lost men. We have this picture in Matthew chapter 13 with the parable of the sower. We also see that at the same time, while God is at work, men have uh, the responsibility to respond to the word of God and the particular soils that the seed is sown into are portrayed in Matthew 13. We also find that at the same time, the seed is being sown, Satan is at work. For example, he's working to snatch the seed away. And not only that, but we find later in the 13th chapter of Matthew that Satan himself is sowing tares among the wheat. He's working in the midst of the fields as well, trying to disrupt the work of God. And the work of God is the work of redemption, to give the message of salvation to a lost world so that they can, be, uh, that they can receive the forgiveness of their sin and have a home in heaven, that those who were enemies of God can become reconciled to God. This is the harvest. By the way, that's why we have a church. We have a farm. Our field in particular is our city, Hickory, North Carolina. Uh, our larger field that we're interested in, by the way, not just interested in Hickory, but the larger field is the world. We're, we're seeking to help people uh, get through all the world to preach the gospel. But we in particular have been assigned to this part of the field. And this church is, is, is a group of laborers who are to go into the harvest. And as we saw last week, we're to pray the Lord of the harvest. But as we pray, as we begin to see as Christ sees, then his concern becomes our concern. And as we pray, God is changing our perspective, inflaming our passion, and we see our responsibility to go into the field 
and to get to work. And that's what we are. We are laborers together at Tabernacle Baptist Church. Now, before he sends them into the field, the Lord has some training that he wants to do for these workers. He's going to teach them some truths about the work they're going to do. And I think as we look at this passage, there are some truths that we're going to learn about the work that God has given us to do. And it will, in, it will enable us to endure the difficult days of the work. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to note a few things. First of all, uh, there was a lesson, number one, concerning the laborer's commission. The laborer's commission. Now, we begin in verse number one. He's sending the laborers. He's, he's, he's sending them with a commission. Before he sends them and as he sends them, he wants them to know what it is they are to do and how they are to do it. Well, we notice in, first, in verse number one that he sent them with power. That's important, isn't it? He sent them with power. He sent them with authority. Look at verse 1. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power, that is authority, against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Before they can go into the harvest field, they have to have his authority. They have to have his power. And so he gives them power. By the way, we too, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, have a power and authority to go into the harvest field. We don't go in our own name. We go in his name. We don't go to accomplish our work. We go to accomplish his work. That's how we go with his authority. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, the Bible said that Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Go in the power of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go in the power of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. What right, what authority do we have to go to the people in this city and proclaim the message of the gospel? One message that is offensive, by the way, because it confronts people with the reality of their sin. The, the, the gospel confronts them with the knowledge that they're sinners. There are people who don't like that. They don't like to be confronted with their sin. And they reject that notion altogether. And they might say to us, who are you to tell me? Well, we're just sinners too, right? But we are sinners saved by the grace of God and sent by God with a commission. So we have power. We have authority. And we have the power of the Holy Ghost in us. So he sent them with power. Secondly, we see that he sent them with partners. They didn't go alone. In verses 2 through 5, you have the names of the 12 apostles. There are six groups of two. The disciples went on this mission two by two. They went with their partner. And there are six teams. The Bible says in verse 2, 
the first Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. So there's, there's team number one. And James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, team number two. Philip and Bartholomew, that's team number three. Thomas and Matthew, the publican, that's team number four. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, that's team number five. And Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, team number six. You see, here there are six teams of two going out to work together. By the way, God has sent us together. We are not alone. Look around. Look around this morning. See, who, see who's seated near you. There's your partners. We are partners. We are laborers together with God. So he sent them with power. He sent them with partners he sent them to the people. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He sent them to the people. Now, their mission and the people that he sent them to is different than our mission and the people he sends us to. They were sent initially to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They were sent to them to tell them that the king is here, the Messiah. The one that they had been looking for was here. They had heard about him. Perhaps many of them had seen him perform miracles. They had heard his teaching. And the disciples are sent on a mission to tell everyone that the king is here. Are you ready to receive the king? But they were only going initially to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You see, the Lord is presenting his king to his people. And he knows that his people are going to reject him. This message then is initially given to the Jew first. And then to the Greek, to the Gentile. Now, our church has not been given a mission to go to a specific group of people. Our church has been given a mission to go to all people. We're not going to one particular uh, nation, uh, one particular ethnicity, uh, one particular social group or cultural group or political group. We are to go to all people. Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 15, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There is nobody that you and I will meet this week who is not eligible to hear this message. There is no one that we should withhold it from. We have a responsibility to give this message, to sow the seed of the word of God to all people. So we're looking at the commission. He sent them with power and authority. He sent them with partners. He sent them to people. And the ministry is a ministry to people. Fourthly, he sent them to preach. Look at verse 7. And as ye go, preach. That's what they were to do. They were to preach. They were to deliver a message. Saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They were preaching. Verse 8. Then he tells them, in addition to their preaching, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. You see, the message that they were preaching was the message of the kingdom. The king is here. Will you receive him? 
That, that's the message. That's the method that God chose, the method of preaching. The miracles that they performed authenticated the message. You see, when Jesus was demonstrating his power to forgive sin in the healing of the paralytic man, he said that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins. I say unto you, arise, take up your bed and walk. Through his miracles, through what people can see, God is demonstrating his power and his identity in who he is. And these disciples They had a message to preach and to back up their authority to demonstrate the power of their message. God enabled them to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. These were the men, these 12 apostles, who would then later, after the death and resurrection of Christ, would carry his message throughout the world. They were the men who Uh, uh, as eyewitnesses of Christ, uh, could authenticate that message by the gifts, the apostolic gifts that he had given to them, the power to perform miracles. Because the Bible was being written. The apostles were, as the Holy Spirit moved them, recording for us scripture. They were the authorities in the church. But now we have the word of God. So you're not going to find an apostle today. You're not going to find an individual. By the way, God still heals people. Amen? But you're not going to find an individual who has the gift to heal people. Uh, Thank God for doctors and medical workers and those who research and do knowledge and, and who want to treat people. And we know that there are treatments which bring healing. We thank God for that. But what we're talking about are individuals, the, the, these, these faith healer types who are out there. And so he sent them to preach. And they were preaching a message. God has given us the message, the message of the gospel, the message of the word of God, and we are to preach that message. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. This is God's prescribed method, the preaching of the gospel. And as the message is preached, the Holy Spirit penetrates the hearts of men and women, reveals to them their sinful condition, reveals Christ to them, and they respond in faith to the word. And as they respond in faith to the word, they become part of the harvest and part of the workforce too. Well, he sent them with a promise In verses 9 through 15, the promise was that he would take care of them, that they weren't to worry over provisions. Provide, in verse 9, neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy. And there abide till you go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. You see, time is of the essence. 
The Lord did not want any delays. He said, go and go now. Don't go home and pack your suitcase. Don't go to the bank, get some money. Just go. Don't worry about where you're staying. You don't have to get online and make a reservation. There are people in those cities who are going to receive you into their houses. Go. He's telling them that they can trust his provision. Now, this is a mission-specific command to this group. But the principle is still true. We can trust God to meet our needs as we endeavor to be obedient to him. In verse 14, he, he warns them. He says, and whosoever shall not receive you, there will be people who will receive you, but there will also be people who will not receive you. Whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Again, this is a mission-specific command to a particular group of people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, who would know what that signified. You see, when they went to a house and they presented the message that the king was here and they backed up that message with the miracles they performed and the people still rejected the Messiah, they would shake the dust off their feet saying, wait a minute, we've done all that we can do. We've completed our responsibility and you have rejected him. Now, by the way, when we go and talk to people about the Lord, there's no reason for us to shake the dust off our feet. This does not apply to us. This was a warning of judgment that was coming to the house of Israel. So we see their commission, and we know that they rejected the Messiah. So the Lord then begins to speak to the disciples that will follow this 12. He's speaking to them concerning their activity through the church age and into uh, the tribulation period before the coming of the Lord. So we've seen, first of all, the laborer's commission, what it is that we're to do, how it is that we're to do it. And secondly, we see here the laborer's caution. He wants them to know that they're going into a dangerous situation. This is not an easy work to do. And I think it's important for us to understand because so many times we we decide uh, as, as God moves in our heart, we get excited and we want to serve the Lord And we do not expect to encounter resistance, but we do. And when we encounter it, it has the potential to derail us. And there have been many Christians who've been derailed from service to Christ because of discouragement, because of difficulty. And so the Lord is preparing his disciples and he's telling them that as they go into the field, they need to be cautious. Look, if you would, please, in verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men. Beware. Well, that's an attention-getting word, isn't it? I want you to go to the field. I'm sending you to the field. There's a great work to be done. But know this, there's danger that awaits you. Now, this message from the Lord is not given to deter us from going into the field. He's not seeking to deter us. What he is is trying to help us uh, to understand is that we have to discern things as we go into the field. 
Notice the danger that comes in verse 21. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. This laboring in the harvest can be dangerous to your health. Because the enemy will work against you and there will be those who will seek to kill you. By the way, when you hold that Bible in your hand, understand this. There are people who have died to make sure that you have a copy of God's word. There are people who have given their lives and hazarded their lives to, to get the Bible in a language that you can understand so that you can hold it in your lap and have its truth. We owe a great debt of gratitude to those people. They were willing to go into the harvest. There are countless numbers who have died because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and because they were willing to give their lives. Today, I have eternal life. Thanks be unto God for that. Verse 22, ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Now, none of us like to be hated, do we? I mean, we're living in a world that has lost any sense of sanity and the capacity to reason. We've, we're living in a world that is in complete rebellion against God. A world that seeks to remove God as if he doesn't exist. A world that seeks to change his truth and erase it and live as if it wasn't real or if it wasn't true. And when you remove God, then it's easy to remove his word. We live in such a confused world. We can't even identify today with all of our technology and all of our knowledge and all of our wisdom. We can't even define the difference between a man and a woman today. You see, when you remove God and you, you, you remove order, what you have is chaos and anarchy. By the way, you don't have to walk very far down the block in the streets of our major cities in the United States to see anarchy. What a time of chaos we're living in. And the Lord says you need to discern this. You're going to be hated. If you take a stand for Christ, you will be hated. A Christian college took a position just this past week to uphold morality and biblical truth. And the detractors and the haters have come out in force. They've come out with their criticisms. In fact, what is disappointing is even some, just a minority, but some of the students of that Christian college have come out in criticism of the position that the college took. Because people don't want to be hated. They don't want to bear the reproach of Christ. The gospel message is offensive, as I said a moment ago, because it confronts people with their sin. And so he says, you'll be hated. So you're in danger. 
Verse 23, but when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, if they have called Christ the devil. Remember what the Pharisees said, he casts out devils by the power of the devil. He is a devil. We live in an age when men call good evil and evil good. It's such a confusing time. He said, if they called him Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? In other words, we need to expect persecution. And we need to be discerning. That's why he said, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Because we're sheep in the midst of wolves. By the way, what kind of chance does a, a lamb have against a wolf? None. He's defenseless. So what are we going to do? Well, I'm glad you asked the question. God gives the answer. Look in verse 19. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. Don't be worried about this. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. Here's what you do. When you discern the danger, you also have to learn to depend upon the Lord. I mean, I, I look around, I see what's happening in our country. I get concerned, don't you? Do you ever get fearful? There are moments when, when it seems as if fear just clutches me. We get fearful. We grow fearful. What is it we must do then? We must learn to depend on the Lord. He will give us the words that we need. Martin Luther, when he nailed his 95 Theses on the door of the church in Germany, the Catholic Church, he was protesting the false teachings of the Catholic Church. There was a priest in that town who was selling indulgences to raise money. The indulgence was sold to the people saying to them, if you'll give money to the church, we'll get you out of purgatory a little quicker. A false doctrine, there is no place called purgatory. When a person dies, they're either with the Lord or they're in hell. There's no purgatory But the Catholic Church teaches that people go to purgatory and they pay for their sins for a little while and after their sins are paid for, then they go into heaven. Well, that's another false teaching as well. Jesus Christ is the only one who could pay for our sins. And so Luther, living in this oppressive system, began to read his Bible. It's amazing what happens when people begin to read their Bibles. And he found the passage that says, the just shall live by faith. Not by works, but by faith. And Luther started the Reformation. Well, the Catholic Church did not like it, and Luther was brought in for a hearing, and as he stood before them, and by the way, he was excommunicated from the church, they could have put him to death possibly, but God spared his life. And as he stood there with his life hanging in the balance, he said, 
I'm here because this is what the Word of God says. I'm here because I can't listen to your false teaching any longer when God says so clearly that we are made just through faith in Christ. And he said, herein I stand, I can do no other. Powerful words that Luther gave. God helping me, he said. I can do no other. He could not compromise what God said. He stood on the principles and the truths of God's word. And may God give us courage and boldness to stand in this hour and know that we must depend on him. So we see the commission. We've all been commissioned to go into the harvest. Then we see the caution. There are dangers that await us but we can depend on the Lord and we can experience victories. And then lastly, we see the laborer's confidence. The laborer's confidence. As I go into the field, in the midst of this danger, what does the Lord tell me? Look in verse 26. Fear them not, therefore. I can depend on the Lord, therefore I don't have to fear them. I don't need to be afraid to be living in 2023. Fear them not, therefore, for there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. God knows exactly what's going on in this world, and he's going to make it known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's what I find. My confidence is based in the fact that when my fear grips me, faith is the answer. So really there is faith for my fear. And when you find yourself becoming fearful, then learn to exercise faith. Fear them not therefore. But fear God. And then he tells us why we must fear him. Now, fear in the sense of man, meaning to be afraid of. Fear in relation to God, meaning to put trust in and reverence in. Faith versus fear. Verse 29, here's the reason I can fear God and trust him. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? That's a, that's a tiny bit of money. And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. Here's two birds, hardly worth anything. And if one of them falls to the ground, God in heaven takes note of it. Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. He's keeping up with me more than he's keeping up with you. Actually, mine haven't changed too much lately. But there was a time, right? God knows us intimately doesn't he? He cares about us. Verse 31, fear ye not therefore. God's going to take care of you. You're of more value than many sparrows. What is the worst thing that man can do to us? Well, the Bible tells us he can kill the body. But guess what happens when he kills the body? You go to heaven for all eternity. What a glorious thing. They really don't have as much power as they think they do, do they? No. He said, look, you're in my hands. Whosoever 
Verse 32, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. What a glorious statement. That means Jesus is going to claim me for his very own in heaven before the Father. That means I'm okay. I'm okay. It means a lot more than that, but verse 33, whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. So there's faith to overcome my fear. Then verse 34, there's clarity in the midst of confusion. He wants to help them understand something because sometimes when things seem to be going wrong, at least from our perspective, we we begin to lose hope. We, We begin to wonder if things aren't spinning out of God's control. Look at verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, if we have a family, thank God for them. We need to live in unity, and we need to love our family. But we do not need to love our family above Jesus Christ. When a person comes to know the Lord and is truly saved, there are people in the family who may not understand that or support that. And there are cultures where family acceptance is everything. And there are people in those cultures who have, who have accepted Christ and have been banished by their families. The Lord says, don't be confused when that happens. Understand this. You must love me more than them. And we're living in a world where families are growing more and more divided. Verse 38, we find that there are gains for our losses. There's faith for our fear, there is clarity for our confusion, and there are gains for our losses. Look in verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Have you wanted to embrace the cross lately? What is the cross? It's the instrument of death. It's it's a curse. No Jewish person in his right mind would have even thought about dying on a cross because the Bible said, cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. It's a cruel instrument of torture and death. Yet Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must take up the cross. You must be willing to give your life to me. It doesn't mean all of us need to be, or will rather, die because of our faith. But there is a death that all of us must experience. That is the death to self. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. And so death to self. Verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of the righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink, give to drink unto one of these 
Little ones, a cup of cold water. Only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Jesus said, if you'll serve me, if you'll go into the harvest, you're going to get paid. And you're going to get paid handsomely. You're going to have the joy and privilege of serving the king of kings. You're going to have a home in heaven. Rewards that are waiting for you. Listen, I want you to know the life of the disciple, the life of the laborer is a blessed life. And we can be confident as we go into the field. Though there are dangers, we can be confident that God will use us and bless us. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.